Hello everyone, it's JB with Not By Works Ministries, and it's time uh, for another edition of our Prophecy Night, which is held every Tuesday at Plum Creek Chapel. However, this week on uh, Tuesday, April the 4th, I'm having to record this remotely as we are still on the road traveling back from a speaking engagement up in Idaho. So uh, this is the Tuesday, April 4th edition of uh, The Time Is Now, Why Bible Prophecy Matters Now More Than Ever. This is part 10, and uh, we are going to be posting this uh, either late Monday, April 3rd, or early Tuesday, April 4th. So it will be available to you, but just a reminder that we will not be live streaming Tuesday night, April 4th, and there will be no in-person meeting for Prophecy Night at Plum Creek Chapel on Tuesday night as well. I'll be back in the pulpit on Resurrection Sunday, this coming April the 9th, this coming Sunday. Really excited about uh, celebrating the resurrection of our Lord together. If you're in the Denver area, uh, we will have a special a brunch at 8.30 at the church with no early service, and then we will all meet together for our late service at 10 o'clock. I know it's going to be crowded, uh, but uh, come early, get a good seat, uh, get a good parking spot, and we'll have to probably park down the road at the restaurant uh, for our late service, but I hope you'll come out for that. We will be live streaming our services on Resurrection Sunday at 10 o'clock uh, only. Uh, as usual. So uh, today we're going to continue our look at uh, some of the uh, ways in which the stage is being set for the return of the Lord, and it's a pretty heavy subject today. In fact, the next two weeks on Prophecy Night we will be looking at some heavy subjects. Uh, next week we'll be back live again uh, on uh, Tuesday, April the 11th, so I hope you'll join us in person if you can or uh, via live stream. But uh, this uh, message that I'm pre-recording uh, today uh, is also a pretty heavy one. So let me just uh, take a moment to kind of review uh, where we've been. Um, again, this is uh, the theme, the overarching theme for this study on prophecy is why Bible prophecy matters now more than ever. And we started out by looking at several examples of how the stage is being set prophetically and then how the stage is being set geologically and atmospherically. Uh, these are all available by video for you to watch for free at notbyworks.org. If you're just now joining us for this series, I encourage you to go back and watch the first nine installments of this uh, series. They're also available, by the way, uh, as audio-only podcasts at uh, our podcast channel. Wherever you listen to podcasts, just search for Not By Works Ministries. Or you can go straight to our website at notbyworks.org and then slash podcasts, and you can find... Uh, most recent podcasts there. Then we looked uh, at how the stage is being set economically, and uh, and then uh, we are currently in the midst of a uh, subsection here on how the stage is being set ecclesiastically. Ecclesia, of course, the Greek word for church, or literally assembly, or called out ones. And uh, so we're just looking at some of the ways in which apostasy, as predicted in Scripture, is getting worse and worse. And, um, you know, I, I've talked about this with a lot of people talked about it uh, yesterday, uh, Sunday. Uh, I'm recording this on Monday so that it'll be available for you on Tuesday. Uh, but yesterday, on Sunday, April the 2nd, I was speaking at a church in Coeur d'Alene, uh, Idaho, and uh, you know had lots of people. We had actually, I spoke four times, and uh, I think there were over 1,500 people altogether uh, in the church that day, and had lots of great conversations at our resource table. Uh, but one of them that uh, uh, was a rather lengthy discussion, was just 
how uh, the the church is really uh, you know dying on the vine right now. We are asleep at the wheel, whatever metaphor you want to use. And uh, this person agreed with me that in my gut, I feel like we're looking at maybe a five percent. Uh, you know, rate of, of churches that are truly biblical and still uh, taking a stand, uh, you know, for the Word of God. I don't have any, you know, scientific way to prove that, but just in my travels and in my experience uh, through Not By Works Ministry, dealing with people and pastors and churches and so forth, Christian leaders, uh, that's my sense is that uh, as Scripture predicted, uh, we are seeing uh, a great apostasy. Uh, and so, you know, the proof text for this that we looked at a couple of weeks ago, 1 Timothy 4.1, In the latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. And the subject we're going to be talking about today as a manifestation of this apostasy is indeed demonic to its core. And this should not surprise us because as I've talked about during the future tribulation period, uh, the spirits of demons will be everywhere present. Satan's going to be harnessing the evil powers that are at his disposal, his army of uh, you know, evil spirits to come and do battle ultimately with uh, Christ at the Battle of Armageddon. And I talk about this uh, uptick and upsurge in, in, in demonic activity uh, in my Spirit of the Antichrist uh, books. Uh, if you've not had a chance to check those out. You can always go to spiritoftheantichrist.org to check those out. But the Bible says that uh, the time will come when believers will not endure sound doctrine, but instead, according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth, being turned aside to fables. Now, we talked a couple of weeks ago, maybe two or three weeks ago now, about the onset of postmodern thinking and moral relativism and how that has really kind of uh, taken over our culture and how it's crept into the churches and seminaries and Bible colleges as well. And, uh, you know, according to moral relativism, right is wrong, wrong is right. In fact, there are no absolute truths that are true for all people at all times. It depends on the, the context. And that's exactly what Paul predicted would happen, uh, even within the church, that people would turn their ears away from the truth and accept fables fabrications, complete fakes as being uh, true. Uh, he reminds us that perilous times will come. He goes on in chapter 3 there to talk about how evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse. And so we've been looking here recently in our Tuesday night series at manifestations of apostasy uh, to show that indeed the stage is being set and that Bible prophecy uh, it matters now more than ever. We looked, for example, at attacks on the Word of God, and we gave several examples of that. We talked about pluralism and moral relativism and postmodernism and things like that. And then fourthly, we looked at how the church is not preaching a clear gospel. I, I've just been burdened about this more and more recently as I hear uh, so many otherwise intelligent and, and biblically sound Bible teachers out there proclaiming, in many cases unwittingly, a false gospel. They're trying to make the gospel about something we do or give or commit or promise or pledge to God that somehow it's a contract and they're missing the point of grace. And so, uh, you know, I've, I've talked about this a lot here recently because it's just on my mind, but we spent a, a great deal of time last week at our Tuesday Night Prophecy Night giving examples of uh, mainstream, very popular evangelical leaders that are obliterating the gospel as it, you know, at least according to scripture, which is the only standard for our beliefs, attitudes, and practices. And so 
you know, I, I've taken a little bit of blowback for that. You know, anytime you mention uh, people's names and cite them directly uh, in a way that is not flattering, it's going to blow back on you. And so, uh, but I, you know, it's just who we are. We've never shied away from that. I try not to to be negative all the time. I try not to be one of those. Uh, Bible teaching ministries that's always out there just, you know, criticizing. But at the same time, um, if the shoe fits, we're going to, we're going to, you know, mention it. And so uh, last week was a time when I wanted to demonstrate how uh, the gospel is under attack and it's uh, becoming more and more marginalized the closer we get to the return of the Lord. And to do that, you have to mention names and show that, uh, you know, show examples of that. I'm going to actually be talking about that again today and give you some more proof text for why it is okay, not only okay, but we're commanded uh, to do that uh, as we, you know, face uh, false teaching in this these last days. So we talked about uh, not preaching a clear gospel, and we also talked about the failure to teach about hell, which kind of go uh, hand in hand. And so today, we're going to move into our sixth and seventh manifestations of apostasy in the church. And then next week when we meet in person, I've got a couple of more that I want to talk about. I hope you'll plan especially next week on a Tuesday, April the 11th uh, for uh, the time is now part 11 because uh, uh, it's a, a subject that we all need to hear and there's a lot of confusion about it. I'm going to be talking about uh, how one of the manifestations of apostasy is Christians not taking a stand against the government. And we're going to dissect Romans 13 and show how it is so clearly uh, just misapplied and misinterpreted by so many uh, Christians today. But that's next week. For today, uh, I want to talk about uh, a sixth example of apostasy, which is the fact that so many churches are welcoming and embracing the LGBTQ agenda. And I can't really talk about how churches are welcoming and embracing it without kind of giving you uh, somewhat of an expose on the agenda itself. So we're going to be covering uh, the whole LGBTQ issue, and of course it's very timely with what happened uh, in Nashville at the Christian school there, and I'll be talking about that. But I want to introduce this topic by going back um, 30 years ago, I guess it was, yeah, 1993, uh, Wendy and I had just gotten married in 92, still didn't have any kids. Uh, we, uh, I just graduated from Dallas Seminary with my master's degree, and we accepted a full-time uh, pastoral position uh, in, uh, at a country church in central Illinois. And uh, I went to this church, uh, very much green, <laughs> wet behind the ears, you might say, uh, but very passionate about, you know, the truth and conservative theology and what the Bible says. And I believe the Lord had us go to this church uh, for just, you know, that brief time that we were there. Uh, we, li we lived there for four years, and two of our, our oldest two kids were born there. Uh, but I believe it was one of those intersections that was providential because the church uh, was an older church. It had been around 150-plus years, I think, at that time. They had just celebrated their 150th anniversary. Uh, they had had more pastors by the time I came than there have been presidents of the United States. And so, uh, but God called me there uh, because the church had been part of a liberal denomination that was pro 
homosexuality, uh, pro-abortion, uh, uh, you know, pro-gay marriage, all of these types of things. And, but the people in the church, for the most part, were not. They were conservative, and they wanted a conservative pastor to kind of help them do battle with the denomination that had departed from the truth of God's Word. And so I had only been there literally a couple of months when some of the leadership in the church said, hey, we want you to help us disassociate with this liberal denomination. It was called the American Baptist Churches USA, ABC USA, uh, which had gone liberal many decades before I got there, but it was getting worse and worse. And uh, they said, hey, we want you to help us, you know, lead us out of this denomination. And I'm going, uh, sure, here I am, a young man, my first full-time pastorate, uh, newly married. I just want to preach the gospel, make a difference, make a living, uh, and you're asking me to do something that is clearly going to be controversial. But uh, And it was. And so uh, immediately the denominational leaders hurt, got wind of what we were doing. They sent delegates to the area. They didn't want to lose our church because... Uh, you know, it was uh, churches were, flee were, were, were fleeing the denomination in droves by that time. And uh, you know, they were trying to, everything they could to, to keep churches from leaving. So they snuck into our backyard. They started holding secret meetings with some of the old timers in the church who didn't really understand the issues, but they wanted to, you know, they knew they could get these people to, to be scared of, oh, you're leaving this long denomination. You're abandoning your tradition of over 100 years and so forth and so on. Um, but uh, the reason I bring this up is that the Lord ha allowed, as he so often does, the perfect situation to arise in the midst of that that helped us as leaders in the church put the church kind of across the finish line of disassociating with this evil denomination that had abandoned the truth of God's word. What happened was in 1994, uh, you know, I'd only been there a few months. I, I went to that church in December of 93. Uh, and uh, in, in early 94, there was a conference in Minneapolis, St. Paul, called the Reimagining Conference. And it was a blasphemous conference of liberal uh, denominations like the uh, Evangelical Lutheran Church of America, the Presbyterian Church USA, and the ABC USA, the church, the denomination that, I, that my church at the time was a part of. And uh, it was all over the news, local newspapers, the Peoria Journal Star covered it, in which they were just uh, talking about how you know, Jesus didn't really die for our sins and all that blood stuff about him shedding his blood on the cross is, you know, we shouldn't talk about that. And it was just a terrible, uh, you know, example of, uh, you know, blasphemy, you know. And so, uh, you know, I saw the coverage of that in the paper and an idea popped into my mind. And so I'm, I had my secretary at the time make copies of that article and uh, we highlighted or underlined before we copied it how our denomination had been a part of it. And I made copies and distributed them on a Sunday. And boy, by Monday morning, my phone was ringing with people in our church saying, we got to get out of this denomination. And it, it was kind of one of those things where I really didn't have to do much convincing uh, after that. But this is a battle that has been wage, being waged for many years. It really goes all the way back to uh, the, the image of God in man when God created man and he created him male and female and Satan's been attacking uh, the image of God in man, God's highest pinnacle of creation, as a way at getting at God. He hates God. He wants to destroy God. He wants to take over God's authority and God's realm. And to do that, he needs to tear apart God's creation. And so uh, this homosexual agenda, the LGBTQ agenda is nothing new. Uh, obviously, it goes back to ancient times. We read about it even in the Bible. But God's Word is not ambiguous about this, nor does God's Word change. But what we have seen happen really even just in the last decade 
uh, is, uh, you know, this agenda reaching new heights as it is taking over uh, our schools, uh, our culture, our colleges, universities, uh, everywhere you look, uh, it is becoming uh, a formidable uh, foe. So I want to start by uh, giving some biblical basis for what the Bible says about this. You know, this really should be where every Christian starts. But again, in this age of apostasy, it's sad but true, most Christians don't take the time to, to see what God's Word says. So let's start with the book of Jude, which tells us there will be mockers in the last time who will walk according to their own ungodly lusts. And these are sensual persons who cause divisions and not having the Spirit. Now, there's no question in Jude's account, which uh, parallels Peter's account, by the way, uh, that these that's talking about unbelievers here. Uh, but sadly, even some believers have jumped on uh, the bandwagon, the welcoming and affirming uh, bandwagon. And uh, by the way, in the, in going back to that battle that I had 30 years ago in Illinois, those denominational leaders that I mentioned that came to town, I actually went to breakfast with one of them who was just doing everything he could to convince me. Uh, you know, here I was, a 25-year-old young man. He's a uh, he was in his 60s, and he was just lecturing me on how wrong I am about taking a stand against homosexuality, and Paul was a radical, and the Apostle Paul really wasn't teaching the Word of God, and we need to not read the, the epistles of Paul. And um, But he was trying to convince me that the denomination needed to be a, a, quote, welcoming and affirming denomination when it comes to homosexuality. We don't have to agree with it. We don't have to become gay ourselves, but we need to welcome and affirm those whom God had made uh, as homosexuals. And I just, uh, you know, pushed back hard and just told him, you know, how wrong that was. And uh, he did not appreciate my taking a stand. But I'm so thankful for the, the upbringing that I had uh, for standing for absolute truth that taught me to, uh, to live on principle. I'm thankful for the opportunity I had to be trained in good conservative Bible colleges and seminaries and places like that, that, that really undergirded what I learned in the home. And Unfortunately, today, most people are abandoning whatever principles they ever had, if they did ever have them, and many Christians are going along with what we see Jude talking about here. They are, you know, walking according to their own ungodly lusts, and even if they are believers, which certainly it's possible for believers to be led astray and come to a false belief, uh, they, uh, they just are not understanding uh, you know, the, the, the importance of this issue. Uh, they're jumping on bandwagons. They're jumping on board the can't we all just get along, you know, love one another type, uh, you know, of, 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 of teaching. So Jude had some pretty strong things to say. We know that uh, in, in the future, the Antichrist during the tribulation will blaspheme God and his name in every way, but especially through his promotion of sexual perversion. He's going to blaspheme God. Um, the spirit of perversion cuts right to the heart of the image of God in man. As I said, God created man in his image, and he created him male and female. The future Antichrist is not going to have the desire of women. Uh, he's, he's going to be, uh, you know, abusive toward women is the way that uh, can be taken, uh, according to some Hebrew scholars. Uh, in other words, he's going to be devoid of natural affection. As we read about in Romans chapter 1, God gave them over to uncleanness and the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature 
rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, Paul goes on, God gave them up to vile passions. These are vile passions. You know, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to look at the human anatomy and figure out how it works. And yet, because of the, the, the depravity of man and, and how Satan and these doctrines of demons have just crept in and led people astray, they, they, they've turned truth on its head and they have vile passions. Paul says, even the women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Also the men, likewise, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another. Men with men, committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. Now, some liberal scholars, as they always do, are literally lying through their teeth when they try to suggest that these words in the Bible are talking about pedophilia or older men with underage men and older women with underage women. That is absolutely patently false. Uh, any uh, Greek or Hebrew scholar with even the slightest degree of training can do the research, look in the lexicons, every lexicon you look at, uh, and it's very clearly talking about male-on-male, female-on-female sexual uh, relations, vile passions against the natural order that God uh, created. Paul goes on, even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. It's simply not fitting to do these things. Now again, you know, I'm talking about one specific example of sinful behavior and specifically, as I'm about to kind of talk about next, how the church is welcoming and affirming this and condoning it. Um, but it's beyond the scope of what I'm talking about here, but it, it should go without saying that all sin is an offense to God. Heterosexual sin is an offense to God. Um, you know, there are plenty of literature out there, and I've spoken about all kinds of problems in the church today. This whole series is talking about that. So I don't want to get emails from people who say, oh, you were, you know, just so mean and hateful to the homosexual community, but, you know, you, you don't seem to care about the, the heterosexual sins. I absolutely care about it because God's Word cares about it. And it's just as offensive to a holy God for people to engage in heterosexual sinful behavior, fornication, adultery, abuse, rape, incest, all kinds of, you know, pedophilia, all kinds of sinful behaviors, as it is to engage in vile, you know, abnormal, you know, sexual behaviors of homosexuality. Uh, so, uh, you know, I just want to go on record as saying that, uh, save you guys uh, out there in the blogosphere from sending me uh, an email. But here's the key verse, verse 29, the very next verse in Romans that I, I really want us to focus on for our purposes today. He says, who knowing the righteous judgment of God that those who practice such things are deserving of death, he's referring back to the Old Testament law, not only do the same, but watch this, I've underlined it on the screen, also approve of those who practice them. Did you notice how God puts on equal footing those who are engaging in homosexual activity with those who approve of them? In other words, those Christians who excuse, defend, or otherwise support homosexual or bisexual or transgender activity or any other perversion of God's natural order are as guilty as those who do them themselves. And this is what I really want to get across to, uh, you know, the, the Not By Works family and those who are following our teaching and listening to our, uh, you know, podcast and watching our videos. You know, it is a serious thing for Christians 
to cozy up to the LGBT community, even though you may not you know, share those vile passions yourself, but to cozy up to them, put your arm around them, and welcome and affirm them is an offense to a holy God on par with actually doing those things yourself. And so let me give you an example. Uh, you know, this is uh, Lauren Daigle. Uh, this should be no surprise, by the way, because I talked previously about Andy Stanley and Lauren Daigle uh, sang at the North Point Church conferences. She's led worship there, been part of the worship team. Uh, in fact, she was even part of a band at North Point that was signed to the church's music label. And as I've talked about before, Andy Stanley has abandoned the truth of God's Word as the only standard for our beliefs, attitudes, and practices. In fact, he's mocked the Bible and says we shouldn't teach people that we believe something because the Bible says it. And so having sat under his teaching, it should come as no surprise that uh, Lauren Daigle was unable to answer a simple question about whether homosexuality is a sin. Um, so, uh, you know, she was asked uh, this question and she said, quote, I can't say one way or the other because I'm not God. Well, you may not be God, Lauren, but we have the Word of God. We have His self-revelation of mankind, so we know what He thinks on the issue. We don't have to be God to know the mind of God. He's revealed to us His mind in His Word, and He is quite clear, as we just read, that homosexuality is a sin. So if this is not a picture of the great last day's apostasy, you know, I don't know what is. So, you know, I want to be clear to those of you that to follow Not By Works Ministries, those of you that are part of the Plum Creek Chapel Church family in uh, Sedalia, Colorado, in the Denver area, I believe homosexuality is a sin. If someone asks me this question, I'm not going to be afraid to answer. It is a sin, full stop. And I'm not afraid to say it, and I'm not afraid to teach it. And nor am I going to be bullied or shamed into thinking that my saying so makes me mean or hateful or judgmental. All I'm doing is saying, thus saith the Lord. And, you know, we need to understand that being uh, angry at sin is not the same thing as being hateful. I mean, look at the words of Christ himself. You know, sin should always make us angry. Never violent, as I'm going to talk about in, in, a, in a few moments here. Obviously, that's not, uh, uh, you know, right and God doesn't want us to be violent against sinners, but he does expect us to be angry. The normal, natural response of a spirit-filled believer is to be angry at sin. Look at what Jesus said uh, to the Pharisaical you know, Jewish leaders that were you know, wrapped up in their own self-righteousness. He said, I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, and after that have no more that they can do, but I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after he is killed, has power to cast into hell. Yes, I say to you, fear him. That's the words of Jesus Christ himself. And you can sense the passion in his voice. Uh, during the last week of his life, in Matthew chapter 23, we, we see a number of uh, scathing rebukes that he issues to the unbelieving Jewish leaders of his day. He says, for example, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, Yes, Jesus called them hypocrites, right? He called them blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. Woe to you, hypocrites, he says. He says, you are whitewashed tombs, Matthew 23, 27, full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. These are the words of righteous anger. 
from the king of righteousness himself, the embodiment of righteousness. And if you've trusted in Jesus Christ and him alone for salvation, then that, then that righteousness of Christ has been imputed to you. And if we are walking in the Spirit, you know, living by the Word of God, growing in our faith, becoming spiritually mature, then we too ought to have that type of righteous anger well up within us when we see abhorrent sinful behavior of any kind, but especially in these great last days of apostasy when the LGBT you know, agenda is being flaunted everywhere we look right in our faces. In John, we read about how Jesus, at the same week, this final week of his life, went into the temple and, uh, and, and cleansed the temple. And John says, when he had made a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money and overturned the tables. I mean, this is someone who is not pleased with sin. And so the so-called LGBTQ movement is demonic to the core. And I'm here to tell you that anyone who gives it the slightest credibility or sympathy has given heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, just as Paul predicted the church would do in the latter days. Uh, so, you know, I want to shift gears now into some recent, uh, cult, you know, current events from American culture and just provide some commentary on it. Obviously, we were all horrified by the school shooting at Covenant Presbyterian Church there in the Nashville area. Just horrific to think of, you know, these three innocent nine-year-old children and these three school employees, a teacher, the principal, and I think a, a substitute teacher, the principal, and I think a custodian. Just horrible, absolutely horrible as this transgendered girl, 28 years old, trying to become a man, uh, trying to claim she was a man, took a rifle, came into the school, and killed in cold blood. I mean, what kind of a psychopathy does it have to have, does a person have to have to point a rifle at a nine-year-old? I mean, it's just sad. And by the way, I, I am well aware that there are many, as is almost always the case with major stories that are covered by the media, inconsistencies, questions, all kinds of facts that don't seem to add up. That's a discussion for another day, but, but at its core, this is a demonic activity uh, by this trans, you know, woman-to-male uh, shooter. Uh, and, of course, here we have the White House then commenting, saying that the trans community is under attack. I mean, talk about turning the narrative on its head. This is exactly the opposite of what happened. We had a, trans, a member of the trans community actually attacking innocent children. And yet the White House, so true to form, uh, comes out and says that it's the trans community that's under attack. And of course, by now, everyone probably is aware of the so-called Trans Day of Vengeance that was originally called the Trans Day of Visibility, uh, you know, as designated by President Joe Biden, by the way. They then, after the D.C., I mean, after the Nashville shooting, changed it to the Trans Day of Vengeance, and they were going to protest outside the Supreme Court. But uh, as best I can tell, just from looking at some of the news headlines, they, the event ultimately was canceled after the Nashville shooting because they were afraid of a credible threat to life and safety, that somehow 
everyone was going to pick up arms and go shoot every transgendered person they find. Because, of course, that's what Christians do, right? We're murderers. We love to kill. It's just the opposite. You know, of course, you know, Christians sin, and, and there's always the, the odd bird out there that, you know, takes matters into his own hands and does something stupid. But by and large, the Christian community is not a bunch of murderers. The murderers are the progressive, liberal, unbelieving, demon-influenced, and demon-possessed in many cases, people who are out there murdering babies in the womb, for example, and, you know, murdering innocent children at a Christian school. So they, they, the, you know, Satan loves to take God's truth and twist it and turn it and pervert it. He's doing that with the gospel. I talked about this last week on Tuesday. You know, the gospel is all about grace. It's free, absolutely free. You realize you can go to heaven and you don't have to absolutely do anything. You can't do anything. You can't be good enough, righteous enough, work hard enough, try hard enough. It's grace, and grace by definition is free. It means free gift. Jesus paid it all. He shed his blood on the cross. If, if, if you could do it your own, then Jesus didn't have to die on the cross. But that's what salvation is. It's free, and yet the devil twists the, God, the grace of God and turns it into something you have to do. And I've heard many uh, Bible teachers and television hosts and evangelical leaders and radio hosts out there suggesting that somehow, you know, we've got to make a commitment and pledge and promise, and we've got to give up this or do this or promise this or stop doing that and, you know, promise to do this if we're really going to go to heaven. That's not the gospel. But you see how it's 180 degrees opposite? In fact, in Galatians, Paul, actually, the very first letter he ever wrote, he talks about how uh, the these Judaizers were were perverting the gospel. That's the way the New King James translates that word. It's the word metastrepho in Greek. It means literally to turn on its head. It, it's only used in its verb and noun form two other times in the New Testament, and both times it refers to taking something and turning it just the opposite, turning uh, you know laughter into mourning and turning you know light into darkness. And and when you take the gospel and you make it about something you've got to do if you really want to get into heaven. You've turned the gospel on its head. You've perverted it. And so that's exactly what uh, the mainstream media, the liberals, those that are working at the behest of Satan, his Luciferian co-conspirators, are doing with this Nashville shooting. Uh, it's, they, they've turned it into the transgender community as the victim, when in reality, in this case, the transgenders were the offenders. They were the perpetrators. They killed innocent uh, children. And so... Uh, they, they claim that there's been this you know, onslaught of threats against the transgendered community as a direct result of hatred toward them after the Tennessee shooting. In fact, we see uh, lots of uh, talk out there about how uh, you know, the LGBT community needs to take up arms. I mean, talk about hypocrisy. I mean, they have been trying to take our guns away forever, because they know they have to disarm the citizenry if they're going to usher in the one world system and bring down America. And yet now they're saying, no, we're fools for not doing it. You know, why some LGBT plus Americans are turning to guns amid a rising wave of hate. Here's NPR. Meet the queer people who practice shooting to defend themselves from hate groups. You know, there was a protest outside Nashville in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, in which you know the trans community was protesting this alleged hatred toward them, and uh, you know nobody's talking about how it was the trans community, at least this one member of it, that 
you know, and I'm going to talk about kind of the psyche behind that in a moment, but nobody's out there talking about the innocent Christian children at this Christian school. They're talking about, you know, the victims, you know, uh, you know, being the transgender community, which is absurd. But at this protest outside Murfreesboro, Tennessee, one of the signs in the protest read, trans girls need guns. And, uh, of course, uh, some of you may know, uh, I did not, but in researching that phrase, I discovered that it's actually the title phrase to a satanic song by a group called Flummox. And just listen to the lyrics of this song that came out a couple of years ago. The song, again, is called Trans Girls Need Guns. And the lyrics go in part, Little pig, little pig, let me in. I'm going to make a rug out of your skin. I'm hunting you down like you've done our world. I'm hunting you down like you've done our girls. This ain't another witch hunt. Ain't another lie. We're going to burn down every last pigsty. You heard it right here and you heard it here first. Every dead queer lives behind a curse. In other words, that song is saying the LGBT community, the trans community, needs to take up arms. The, the chorus goes, trans girls need guns. Bigger than the ones we were assigned to. Trans girls need guns. Keep a knife to the thigh in case you got to slice through. Trans girls need guns guns. It's demonic. It's despicable. I actually hesitated to even quote those lyrics. The lyrics get worse, and I really couldn't quote them in a Christian podcast like this. But here's someone at this, you know, protest after the Nashville shooting saying trans girls need guns. Well, this one trans girl did have a gun. In fact, according to the official narrative, had three guns, two rifles and a pistol, and they turned them on innocent nine-year-olds. And so, yet this is what the mainstream media is completely ignoring. Another sign at this uh, trans protest there in Murfreesboro after the Nashville shooting showed a picture of Jack Nicholson from the movie The Shining, you know, the Stanley Kubrick movie, with the words Red Rum underneath, R-E-D-R-U-M. Now, if you've watched the, the movie The Shining, which I wish we had time to get into some of the backstory about that movie, and Stanley Kubrick himself, who was very awake and revealed a lot before his his death, including in his last film that was actually released posthumously uh, called Eyes Wide, uh, Sh- Eyes Wide Shut, uh, anyway, which is all about the satanic ritual abuse in Hollywood. Uh, but this was uh, from The Shining, and if you know much about the movie, Red Rum is murder spelled backwards, and it is, uh, you know, uh, what the, the, the murderer there in the movie uh, uses as a code word. And so they were holding up this sign, essentially saying murder. <laughs> you know, the, and, and that's what happened. There's, they, they, so let's, let's review here for a second, because it's just, I'm incredulous when I think about what has happened in the last week. A trans person, a woman who self-declared to be a man, she takes up arms, breaks into a Christian school, and shoots in cold blood six people, including three nine-year-old children. And the trans community responds by taking offense that everyone, quote, hates them. And, and they call for more violence to murder people and take up guns. And what's even more ironic about that sign, not that, you know, transgendered people are the brightest in the world to begin with, uh, that they're mentally ill, which is part of the problem. But, you know, if they had watched the movie The Shining, they would know that in the movie, the killer used an axe, not a gun. 
So for all those in the anti-gun group, you better find a better, you know, maybe a, a more appropriate spokes motto than red rum or murder. Um, but here's here's what I really wanted to focus on. You know, uh, I, I, we can we we know what the Bible says. The Bible is not ambiguous on this issue. But we also know from scientific peer-reviewed studies. Here's a 2022 study of 3,100 16 to 25 year olds from 18 different colleges in Canada. A very, very scientific study. And it showed that uh, even though of the 3,100 participants in the study, only 2.5% identified themselves as transgendered, which was only 79 participants, nevertheless, that group among all the groups in the study had by far the highest likelihood of violent radicalization. And the results of this study are in keeping with several other studies that have been done that consistently show high levels of psychological distress and greater risk of violence and suicide. There was a 2011 study in Sweden that showed female-to-male transgender people, the exact kind of person that killed these innocent children and adults in Nashville, this study in Sweden showed that female-to-male transgender people had a higher rate of violence than the control group. Of course they do. Uh, these people are mentally unstable and emotionally disturbed. They have exchanged the truth of God for a lie. Their mind is being propagandized and controlled. Uh, and it really shouldn't be surprising since our culture has been grooming them and conditioning them for decades. This is by design. You know, you, you, you know in my anger toward sinful behavior that the church is by and large just embracing, uh, which, is just, which is the real sign of the times that we're talking about here for apostasy. But in my anger, please don't miss the fact that it saddens me when I see these people suffering. They, they have been let down by our churches, by their parents in many cases, certainly by the school system. The school system today is, I don't understand why any Christian parent or any parent at all, for that matter, would send their kids to the public schools today. It is an absolute mind control experiment. And it, it has been, of course, since uh, the early 20th century, as I've talked about elsewhere, with the onset of compulsory government schooling. It was all by design to take kids away from the home, fill their mind with lies, and, and here we are, uh, you know, several, several generations later. Um, so they're attacking us from within. They're attacking the minds of our young people. And it's sad. You, know, you look at them, you, know, you see these pictures on the screens. It, these are hurting people, and hurting people hurt people. It doesn't excuse what they've done. It doesn't uh, you know, mean we shouldn't be angry about it in the same way Jesus was angry at sin in his day. Uh, but we need to pray for them. We need to reach them for Christ and understand that Christ can bring even the worst of, of sinners back into a saving relationship uh, with him. But th this, this issue of the transgender community has also affected, it's, it's, part of a larger, it's part of a larger agenda, and it's also affected our military. I was talking to someone recently about how transgenders have become so pervasive throughout the branches of the various branches of the military. Uh, this person serves in the military, sees them uh, under his command, you know, uh, regularly, and that's by design. And I asked my friend, you know, does the Chinese military and the Russian military, do they allow transgenders to serve in the military? And he said, absolutely not. See, they are, it's part of a, an overall Luciferian agenda to weaken the United States military. So when the time comes and they, you know, push the button 
to topple America, so to make way for the one world system, we've got a weakened uh, army, a woke uh, military defense. Uh, so again, this none of this should come as a surprise because uh, this has been something that the Luciferians have been you know, infiltrating through our schools and media and Hollywood and entertainment and everywhere you look. For example, here's Disney Junior Channel uh, that uh, on the you know the, a show here uh, that is praising uh, same-sex marriage. And this was a show, by the way, designed for preschoolers. So they're focusing on preschoolers and uh, praising them. Uh, you know, praising the same-sex agenda and, and conditioning them to think that way. Here's a 90-second TV ad by Sprite, a Coca-Cola company that's promoting the LGBTQ agenda. Uh, another show targeting young uh, kids. Uh, this is a, an episode of Arthur, an animated educational television series for children ages 4 to 8 on PBS. And it takes place in the fictional city of Elwood, and it revolves around eight-year-old Arthur and his daily interactions with friends and family. And in one episode, the show featured a gay wedding. I mean, you can Google it, look it up on YouTube, watch the actual episode. Unbelievable. Um, Disney Channel introduces the homosexual teen character and pushes the LGBT agenda. Of course, going way back now, we remember Ellen and, and her promotion of you know, uh, homosexuality. But it's not just liberals and progressives. Let's not forget that billionaire, billionaire tech investor Peter Thiel, the co-founder of PayPal, was invited by Trump to speak at the RNC convention on Thursday night in primetime, July 21st, 2016, the very night Trump accepted the Republican nomination. That was by design. Uh, Trump is very uh, close friends with him. He's also very big into the LGBTQ agenda. If you don't believe me, just look up a recent celebration he had at Mar-a-Lago, uh, you know, celebrating a recent gay marriage decision. Uh, he is deep, deep into the LGBTQ agenda. So it shouldn't surprise us that, you know, in a history-making moment when he is accepting the Republican nomination July 21st, 2016, right before he won the election for his first term, that he chooses Peter Thiel to speak in prime time uh, about his, you know, how he can be gay and still be a conservative. He says, I'm proud to be gay, uh, he said. Uh, by the way, he, Peter Thiel has also attended the Bilderberg Group in Germany. Uh, I talk about Bilderberg and Spirit of the Antichrist, Volume 2, as one of the, you know, secret power-broking groups out there. Uh, uh, you know, here's another Fox News article. Peter Thiel's speech is an important moment for the GOP. Of course it is, because it conditions us that, it, you know, we've got to be welcoming and affirming as conservatives of the LGBTQ lifestyle. Um, and he, of course, endorsed Trump, obviously, which is why they had him speak. I encourage you to read Chapter 13 in Spirit of the Antichrist, Volume 2. But here's what Peter Thiel said in his primetime speech. Quote, of course, every American has a unique identity. He said, I am proud to be gay, I'm proud to be a Republican, but most of all, I'm proud to be an American. Because there's nothing wrong with taking the natural order of things, twisting them in a vile way, and going against God's natural order. Uh, it's everywhere. Forbes magazine talked about how to use gender-neutral language in this article back during the pandemic, why it's important. Even, you know, rich crackers, a traditionally sort of, you know, neutral type company got into the agenda here with their ad campaign where there's love there's family and it's we're encouraging people to rethink what it means to be family they said 
Um, we feel like everyone should belong. And this Christmas, we encourage you to rethink what it means to be family. And they show two homosexual men hugging each other in the television commercial. Hollywood, of course, is long uh, you know, been promoting gender neutrality, binary, transgender, whatever else you want to call it, ramming it down our throats, uh, social engineers and mind control programs. Um, you know, you see uh, major celebrities parading their own children out in, in front of uh, the cameras. Uh, you know, it, it's really, it's, it's just incredibly sad. Here's Adele, who lets her son dress as a Disney princess. Uh, you know, here's Angelina Jolie and Brad Pitt are praised for supporting their child's exploration of gender identity. You know, we've got Megan Fox, who's lauded for allowing her son to wear a Snow White dress. And again, here she's allowing her son to wear an Ella, I mean, an Elsa Frozen <laughs> dress, Megan Fox. Uh, you got Jaden Smith, son of superstar Will Smith, supposedly saying that, or, you know, hoping that his gender fluidity, quote unquote, will pave the way for others to wear whatever they want. Um, he's, I think, uh, 20, let's see, 23 maybe by now. But anyway, in 2015, he was 16 years old and he was recently named the new face of Louis Vuitton's women's wear campaign. Yeah, Jaden Smith, a male is the face of a women's wear campaign. Uh, Toby Maguire and his ex-wife made headlines uh, when they allowed their son Otis to dress in a girl's skirt. Hooray for Hollywood. Yeah, we're so proud of Hollywood for helping promote the transgender uh, agenda. Uh, here's a, 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 an androgynous Australian model who has been famous for working both the male and female runways at Paris fashion shows. Uh, here's Cover Girl announcing the first Cover Boy. <laughs> uh, I mean, this is—you can't make this stuff up. Even J. Crew magazine blatantly propagandized people celebrating the transgendered, transgendered children. As this mom is painting her son, he can't be more than four or five years old, painting his toenails pink. NPR did a story uh, um, some years ago about the end of gender. Uh, you know, is this really the end of gender? In fact, Webster's dip Dictionary has actually included now a second meaning of the word gender. Uh, gender and sex are no longer synonyms. The secondary definition, according to Webster's, is of gender is the behavioral, cultural, and psychological traits typically associated with one sex. So again, gender has become something you want it to be your own feelings, your own passions. You just declare it. It's not an absolute. It's not empirical. It's not scientific or anatomical. It is something that you declare. And that's exactly what Satan wants to do in these great last days of apostasy and deception. He wants the church to think there are no absolutes. Truth is in the eye of the beholder, as we talked about with pluralism uh, some time ago. Massachusetts now officially recognizes non-binary gender option on your uh, driver's license. You can select male, female, or X. Uh, speaking of Massachusetts, three lesbian women became uh, the first, the world's first thruple several years ago. Uh, they married each other, three of them, and they call it a thruple. Not a couple, but a thruple. And in fact, thruple is now in the dictionary. Just go to dictionary.com and look up thruple. It's when three people marry each other. This again is an attack on the institution of marriage. Satan's doing everything he can to attack the very core foundations of creation that we read about in Genesis 1 through 11. 
there was a Canadian newborn that was born and believed to be the first in the world without a gender designation. Why would you want to put a gender designation on your uh, baby's birth certificate? Just let him or her grow up and decide what they want to be. It's just sickening. But the real manifestation, as I close out here and move to number seven on my manifestations of apostasy as setting the stage for the return of Christ, the real tragedy here is the failure of the church to call out sin. We've fallen right into the trap of condoning, affirming, welcoming, embracing the LGBTQ agenda. Exactly the way Paul says we shouldn't. You know, it's a fundamental goal of pluralism to eliminate any and all standards. But Paul says in Ephesians 5, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. And we need more Christians today that are willing to expose the unfruitful works of darkness. Paul said in Romans 16, I urge you, brethren, note those who cause divisions and offenses and avoid them. You know that Greek word translated note there, when he says note those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned and avoid them? When he says note them, that's the Greek word skapeo, skapeo. And it literally means to seek out or scope out. It's where we get our English word scope. If you have a test where they, you know, insert a scope, they're, they're looking for something. You know, how many Christians are spending time obeying this command? It's an imperative in the Greek text to scope out and look for false teaching and offenses and sins and sinful behavior. How many Christians are doing that? Not very many. In fact, even when it crosses your plate, we've been conditioned to look the other way. But not only are we not supposed to look the other way, we're actually supposed to be actively scoping out those who are sinful, and we're supposed to be acting like lights in this perverse generation, as Paul says. In fact, John the Apostle tells us, if someone comes to your house and doesn't bring sound doctrine, don't even receive him into your house nor greet him, Second John verse 10. Far from being a compassionate notion, inclusivism, pluralism, tolerance of sin is very, very dangerous. That's why the Bible tells us to be careful about who you embrace and let into your home. Remember, we're dealing with doctrines of demons here. James, the Lord's brother, says, Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever, therefore, wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And I think there are many believers who may be real believers. They've trusted in Christ and Him alone for salvation, but they've been so deceived by apostasy in this last days, by bad churches, churches that are teaching false doctrine, that they have unwittingly become an enemy of God. doesn't mean they're going to go to hell. Thankfully, our eternal destination is not based upon our behavior or even our attitudes or our philosophies. It's based on the grace of God. And if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ and Him alone, then your eternal destiny is set. But sadly, many believers have fallen prey to this great end times apostasy. So that's all I have for this edition of Prophecy Night. I want to remind you that a lot of this stuff I talk about, especially in chapter 13 of Spirit of the Antichrist, Volume 2, 
And many of you have been asking for some months now, actually, uh, for uh, the Volume 2 to be available as a PDF, which can be easily uploaded into any e-reader like Kindle. Uh, and we purposely waited, uh, you know, the, book, the Volume 2 came out October 31st last year, so it's been about five months. Uh, but we just recently did release it, so now you can get both volumes, Volume 1 or 2, in electronic format, which you can then easily import into your e-reader. If you are interested, go to notbyworks.org store, and you'll see them posted right there. Of course, the print versions are available as well. I want to mention an upcoming conference next month, now that we're in April. Uh, in May, we've got the 14th Annual Mid-America Prophecy Conference in Tulsa, Oklahoma, at the Marriott Hotel. Uh, a lot of great speakers, myself, Andy Woods, Tommy Ice, Joe Martin, many others. Uh, if you are interested, you can click the link on our webpage in the highlight carousel uh, and uh, sign up and register for that. I've been speaking there for many years now, and it's one of my favorite conferences each year. And looking forward to the two messages that I will be delivering at that conference. Well, thanks uh, for listening and for watching. And again, uh, pray for our safe travels as we return uh, from Idaho. We hope to be back in later this week and looking forward to a great Lord's Day on Sunday uh, as we uh, you know, get ready to uh, celebrate the resurrection of our Lord uh, at Plum Creek Chapel. And, uh, and then we'll see you again next Tuesday, April the 11th, in person for the next installment of uh, our The Time Is Now uh, uh, series. God bless you. Take care. Let us know if we can ever do anything for you. Feel free to, uh, you know, to reach out to us by email. We appreciate the encouraging emails. Uh, we have the best uh, audience and constituents of any ministry in the world. I'm so grateful that the Lord has allowed us to, uh, to serve with Not By Works Ministries. Stay in touch. Let us know if we can do anything, and God bless.